Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This Life Science Focus podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter. Thanks for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story about some about a legal case, actually, and this involves Eli Lilly. So several U.S. states have actually taken Eli Lilly to court now over the company's proposed $13.5 million insulin pricing settlement. So Eli Lilly actually was seeking approval back in May to settle litigations over pricing of its insulin product, Humalog. And so a couple of U.S. states are objecting to this and are asking a New Jersey federal court to delay approval of the proposed $13.5 million deal. So last week, lawyers for Arizona, Mississippi, and Minnesota urged U.S. District Judge Brian Martinotti to delay a decision on the deal unless it is changed to ensure states can file their own lawsuits over pricing of the insulin product. So the three states are joining uh, Illinois, Nebraska, Utah, Arkansas, Kansas, and Montana in protest against Eli Lilly's proposed settlement. Now, in the original lawsuit by the other six states that I just mentioned, uh, Eli Lilly, along with two of the country's other insulin makers, Sanofi and Novo Nordisk, um, they've been accused of jacking up the price, the list price of their insulin while offering big, hefty discounts to pharma middlemen. Now, these middlemen are responsible for determining which drugs are made available through insurance plans. So the very first litigation um, against Eli Lilly was filed in 2017. Now, along with the $13.5 million settlement, Lilly also agreed to cap out-of-pocket insulin costs to $35 for four years through its insulin value program. However, the six states in in that litigation argued that the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, is already capping the cost to $35 for Medicare beneficiaries. And so lawmakers in Congress have uh, proposed legislation for the cap to be applied actually to all American diabetic patients. Um, And so in a separate filing of their own last week, the original six states that um, are... um, you know, uh, have the litigation against Eli Lilly, said that given local insulin price caps, Eli Lilly was attempting to settle claims valued at around $1 billion by offering a substantially lower price than is already being ordained by law. And so they say that, you know, the $13.5 million offer simply doesn't cut it. And in last week's court filing, um, so the three new states that filed last week uh, claimed that Eli Lilly's statement settlement, sorry, is a brazen attempt to restrict future litigation. And Eli Lilly actually initially uh, was fighting the um, very first litigation uh, from uh, the six states that I mentioned um, back in 2017 when that was initiated. So 
the company was fighting that for several years, but only recently did it decide to offer its multi-million dollar settlement um, after spending, you know, a couple years fighting. And of course, U.S. insulin makers have come under fire as the U.S. is the country with the most expensive insulin in the world. And so in response to all of the criticism and all of and coming under fire, Eli Lilly announced that it would be slashing the price of most of its insulin products by 70%, which will take effect in the fourth quarter of 2023. And the current list price of a five-pack of Hemolog pens is $530.40 before discounts, while a vial of insulin is about $274. So, Sydney, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. I think we hear a lot about, you know, big pharma being embroiled in these legal battles. And what do you think about this one and how Eli Lilly is trying to undercut you know, current and future litigations over insulin pricing and how actual states are coming forward and objecting to this. I mean, I think it's great that um, it's being sort of getting out there more in the public eye. And I know that, um, you know, insulin is one of those really um, highly like it's 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 in demand. It's in high demand. Um, and I, it's actually pretty reminiscent of a lot of uh, shows that are on right now that you this story reminded me of a couple shows, one of which is called Dope Sick. It's a new show on Netflix about um, the Sackler family and the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is an Apple TV show called Dope Sick, similar um, story. Um, and I'm like really kind of glad that these types of stories um, are exposing big pharma. It's sad, I guess, that it has to be through those, uh, you know, channels, but any way to get the word out, I think is, is good. And while, you know, I don't, I, I won't really understand the specifics of these legal proceedings. I am glad that, um, you know, we're, we're hearing about them more. And when you were saying that, you know, Eli Lilly was going to be slashing the price of insulin by 70%, I'm like, wow, if, if, se- if, if there's a 70% Percent slash, margin, yeah. yeah, exactly. The margins. Yeah. I was, oh man. They probably think they're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're being oh, yeah. so, you know, generous, but it's like, there's a, there's many, many years, probably decades, generations of undoing the damage mm. to be done. And I think we're like just starting right now. Just starting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great point there. And, and the thing is, it's like they they come up with this, oh, we're going to slash insulin by 70%. But I mean, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, that's already calling for and implementing these rules, like capping insulin to 35, which part of that, Eli Lilly's like, oh, we're going to do that too, because we're such good Samaritans. But it's like, yeah, like the law, like the states that called them are calling um, Eli Lilly. I was like, well, that's already happening. Like the capping right. is already happening. So it's not like you're coming up with these novel ideas. It's just <laughs> public pressure, public and, you know, uh, pressure from groups and agencies and things like that. So it's like, okay. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when, you know, to, to relate it to the food industry, it's like when... Mm-hmm. 
um, a food company declares a, a, a voluntary recall, voluntary recall right, but yeah. you know, at the end of the day, the FDA still mandates them to do that. But it looks, you know, for them though, it's like, oh, we're doing the right thing here. Mm-hmm. We're we're recalling Taking it this upon product. ourselves. Exactly. To do this. Yes. Exactly. Like, so it's know, very reminiscent of of that. Absolutely. Yeah. It does remind me of that too. And it's kind of like with those food recalls, it's usually. A consumer that probably yeah. two or three or four, you know, when they get these accumulating reports from consumers, that's when they have to take action. It's not mm-hmm. like they're, you know, uh, they've just come upon this issue themselves and out of the goodness of their heart and, <laughs> and you know, and ethics that they're doing this. Now, this is not to say that every company is like this, but, you know, these companies do have obviously vested interests and interests to protect, but... Um, yeah, when does it become a thing where it's like, and Eli Lilly was fighting this since 2017. So it took them like six years now, right? To be like, okay, fine. We'll throw in the towel. We'll offer a settlement, but that is not nearly enough. Um, so it's according to the U S states that are taking the company to court. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Mm -hmm. It's it's also making me think about like how many other, you know, obviously insulin is such one of those like really mm-hmm. high demand drugs, but it's just making me think about how many other, you know, essential medications oh, yeah. um, that we probably will never hear about and people will have to pay so much money out of pocket. Um, like I, I am glad that, that this, you know, that they're trying to, to lower the price of it. But yeah, there's there's so many other medications that I'm sure probably won't make it into these legal battles just because they're not as commonly prescribed prescribed yeah mm-hmm. um can, like are there any other examples of um i know there have been in the past but i mm-hmm. guess this is the most recent one of of just one of those really highly sought after medications where they were price jacking that you can think of yeah i think uh one that comes to mind is humira so that mm-hmm. is um uh, a medication used for the treatment of uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and it's like a bestseller. I think it's it's been the world's best-selling drug for AbbVie, and so they've come under, under so much fire recently for the same thing, for price shacking and um, and for blocking biosimilar competition, right? So they've been trying to block these competitors from ed- entering the market and doing all of these kinds of things to, to attempt that. And, uh, yeah, it's really great to see that, you know, we think that the bigger the company, maybe the less accountable, like who's going to hold them accountable, but the bigger you are, the there's more steep of a fall, right? So it's really great to see that there is accountability, accountability. And at the end of the day, it is all about the consumer and the patient, uh, which is the way it should be. And the fact that, um, you know, I was hearing about this, uh, you know, these rumblings about insulin being so expensive in the U.S. We've been hearing this for the past couple of years, but I didn't really think anything would be done about it. But the fact that you have the IRA and you have, you know, uh, insulin companies now, you know, slashing their prices in in good faith (laughs) and things like that. Um, Sorry, Eli Lilly. No, I'm not hating on anybody here. But um, yeah, I mean... That's really great to see and to, to think that the U.S., you know, the highest pricing in the world for insulin, that's, yeah. Yeah, shouldn't be that way. And I, you know, I not to be a downer, but I just, you know, governments are always 
temporary. And I just hope that going mm. forward that this still remains a priority, um, mm. you know, for whichever government takes over next. Like I, you know what I mean? I just yeah. hope that it always remains a, re- remains a top priority. Yeah, now like that the policies that are implemented yes. now, hopefully the ones that serve people and patients mm-hmm. uh, remain. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. Because it's so fragile, you know, everything. Yeah. Like, if something can change. And in the, political, in the, right? Yeah, everything oh, is, completely. It's all political. It's, so yeah, it's all that's intertwined. that's the problem. So mm-hmm. um, we really need to, to ensure that the best interests of, of patients are, are taken uh, into account because yes. uh, you have the politics, you have pharma, you have all of these things uh, intermeshed. And we're the patients in all of this, right? right. <laughs> we don't yeah. want them to be losing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's move on to our next story. And this is about uh, an, an FDA approval. So the FDA recently granted approval to Regeneron's high-dose version of its best-selling eye injection, Ilea. So the FDA approved an 8 milligram high-dose formulation of the anti-VEGF injection, which was previously only available in 2 milligram doses by prescription. So high-dose ILEA got the green light for the treatment of patients with wet age-related macular degeneration, or wet AMD, uh, as well as diabetic macular edema, or DME, and diabetic retinopathy, or DR. So the recommended dose is 8 milligrams every month for the first three months across all indications, followed by 8 milligrams every 8 to 16 weeks in wet AMD and DME, and every 8 to 12 weeks for DR. It's estimated that 1.4 million people in the U.S. have wet AMD, which is a retinal disease that can affect people as they age, and it occurs when abnormal blood vessels grow and leak fluid under the macula, which is the part of the eye responsible for sharp, central, and fine detail vision. This fluid can damage and scar the macula, which can cause vision loss. Now, DR, or diabetic retinopathy, is characterized by microvascular damage to blood vessels in the retina, which is often caused by poor blood sugar control in diabetic patients. DME, which is diabetic macular edema, can occur at any stage of DR, as the blood vessels in the retina become increasingly fragile and leak fluid, leading to the potential for visual impairment. In the U.S., around 1.5 million adults have DME, and 6 million people have DR without DME. So Regeneron and Bayer are the co-developers of ILEA, and they'll be taking on Roche's blockbuster high-dose treatment, Vibismo, which uh, has been enjoying great market uh, success since it was launched just 19 months ago. So as I mentioned, ILEA is an anti-VEGF agent, so it targets VEGF, but Vibismo has dual targeting action as it inhibits both VEGF and angiopoietin 2, and these are both vascular growth factors that are involved in the growth of new blood vessels uh, or angiogenesis, and this is, of course, um, the underlying mechanism by which you have all of these retinal problems and diseases. Uh, so earlier this year, ILEA actually received a pediatric approval for the treatment of preterm infants with retinopathy of prematurity. So ILEA's, uh, ILEA high doses FDA approval was based on the results of two pivotal trials, 
um, that looked at high-dose ILEA compared to the regular dose uh, ILEA injection, uh, the 2 milligram dose. And at 48 weeks, both trials met their primary endpoint in which high-dose ILEA demonstrated non-inferior and clinically equivalent vision gains with both 12- and 16-week dosing regimens after three initial monthly doses, compared to ILEA given for eight weeks after initial monthly doses. And uh, the majority of patients who received either of the dosing regimens were able to maintain the dosing intervals through 48 weeks. So Roche's Vibismo, going back to that, came onto the market as an alternative to ILEA with a less frequent dosing schedule of once every four months compared to ILEA's once every two months re uh, regimen. Now, ILEA is also looking to, um, or Regeneron is also looking to, uh, to have a less frequent dosing schedule for ILEA. So it's been conducting a phase three study and recently it shared results that show that 88% of patients receiving eight milligram injections of ILEA over a two year period were able to extend their dosing to at least 12 week or three month uh, intervals. So Regeneron said that it's set to launch ILEA um, immediate high dose ILEA rather immediately, and that customers will be able to order it early uh, next. Actually, I think they were able to order it last week. Yeah, beginning last week, which is great news. So uh, while Babismo has a list price of $2,190 for a vial of a six milligram dose, Regeneron will be charging will be charging $2,625 per dose of uh, high-dose ILEA. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, this approval. And um, I think there are a couple of things here. One is um, that uh, it's cool to see that you uh, companies trying to make uh, drugs more convenient and flexible for patients. So the whole idea behind, let's say, going at a higher dose is to try, is to, try to see can they um, reduce the frequency of um, how often patients have to have to take the drug and then um, and things like that. So what do you think this means for patients? And uh, it is an injection, so that means they have to actually go into a clinic. So it's not the easiest thing. It's not like an at-home uh, thing that you can just take. So I think this definitely would increase uh, patient convenience. And what do you think about uh, these kinds of uh, approvals for that? I was, okay, so before I give you my thoughts on that, I was, you know, since it is an injection, can you clarify for me, and apologies if I missed this, um, is it in the eye? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, okay, I was picturing it that way, but I was kind of hoping you would say it was just your regular old arm injection. No, <laughs> But then no, it no, wouldn't no. be it's... a targeted, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so it's not the most pleasant mm -hmm. uh, of things mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. But I suppose neither are the conditions that it's treating. Right. So exactly. I guess, you know, you'll do what you got to do <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to help yourself there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think these uh, um, these are, you know, it's an excellent step forward. I, I know we, we've talked about a lot of eye drugs before. Mm -hmm. um, and I know there's like such a massive slew of, you know, uh, 
diseases and and just things that can affect the eye um that you know need to be treated so yeah I mean I think this is this is great um I sort of winced as I always do when you (laughs) talk about the price of things um because it's a bit steep not the steepest we've heard but but steep for sure um but you know you were saying that higher dose hopefully less frequent Mm-hmm. Hopefully that is a bit of a factor in this as well. Um, and it's it can be covered, right? It's it, it's by insurances, we think. Yeah, depending on your insur- on the insurance plan. Um, I, again, I'm not sure what the coverage would look like, but uh, hopefully, again, depending on your plan. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the out-of-pocket cost would be. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the prices are definitely um, a, a cause for you know discussion and mm-hmm. kind of like raises eyebrows and things like that. And especially in a country like the U.S., where you know there are so many uh, like almost every prescription drug or every, every drug essentially. Um, there are some out-of-pocket costs associated mm-hmm. with it. So um, yeah. That I think is a separate conversation in itself, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the, you know, good to note there that it, this is not cheap, right? So over to over two thousand dollars for one dose, and um, although the trials uh, showed that, you know, I think after receiving um, the the one, well, based on the different dosing regimen, I think you know three months or four four month intervals, and then they followed through to like 48 weeks um so that's like four yeah almost a year but again we don't know how long some of these patients will have to be on these drugs right. where we'll have to get this injection so the the, pr- the price can definitely add up so mm-hmm. and i'm sure um you know i'm sure in you know in your writings about n- new drugs like i'm sure it's pretty common for them to start off expensive and may, like, what, what is, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do they typically go down in price once maybe, maybe a couple years mm-hmm. in, or do you think given a success of a drug, it can actually increase because it's, because mm-hmm. the demand is there. What do you right. typically see? Uh, typically what we see is that the price does go down a bit. I mm-hmm. haven't really seen prices go up, um, despite inflation and all of that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, um, typically they go down, but not significantly at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, an expensive drug remains an expensive drug. Right. Right. (laughs) So it's a a pharma industry motto. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, but yes, once you have competition from other companies making similar products, then we're talking, you know, a different ball game. Then mm-hmm. there's like, but then the thing is like all of these companies want a piece of the pie, right? So right. it's not like, um, the prices drop significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then you have biosimilars too, right? So those are, uh, also, um, or, um, generic versions essentially of some of these drugs that can also um sort of bring down the price but then the original version is always going to be more expensive so Mm -hmm. yeah drugs drug pricing is a very complicated and a very convoluted um industry in the u.s and you have so many 
parties at stake. You have like pharma middlemen, as like mm-hmm. we talked about. So these are the people that like pharmacy managers and things like that, pharmacy benefit managers, I believe. So they're responsible for sort of um, determining what drugs are on a pharmacy's list. And then so and the pricing and all of that comes into play there too. So mm. yeah, there's a lot at stake. But yeah. All right, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com, or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.